from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Learn more at aarp.org wv. The Charleston Gazette-Mail, using its CGM app to deliver the latest news, traffic, and weather alerts, keeping you in the know while you're on the go. Lumos Networks, online at lumosnetworks.com. West Virginia University, online at wvu.edu. Orion Strategies, professional public relations, government affairs, creative services, and research and polling, with offices in Charleston, Buchanan, Martinsburg, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Good evening and welcome to the Legislature Today. An explosive meeting of the House Committee on Government Organization yesterday led to heated remarks on the House floor today. Yesterday, members were discussing an amendment to a House bill that would have prevented adding protected classes not currently stipulated in state code when making changes to city regulations and requirements. As Dave Mistich reports, the amendment failed 10 to 12 but sparked heated conversation today about civil rights for the LGBTQ community. The amendment voted down yesterday in the House Government Organization Committee would have also nullified anti-discrimination ordinances that have been passed around the state in recent years. Delegate Evan Hansen stood on the floor and noted that in yesterday's committee, Democrats were called socialists during the discussion of the amendment. Hansen said as a business owner, civil rights for LGBT communities are crucial for the state in attracting new businesses. I'm rising today because I just cannot even believe that this is something that we're talking about here at the legislature, undoing these non-discrimination ordinances instead of taking proactive steps to pass a non-discrimination ordinance for the entire state. I just don't think it's fair that somebody should lose their job because their boss finds out that they're gay. And I don't think it's fair that somebody should be kicked out of their apartment because they choose to come out of the closet. To me, it's a fairness issue. And it's not just that, it's an economic development issue. Delegate Tom Bibby, a Republican who supported the amendment to House Bill 2699, argued it wasn't about discrimination, but rather keeping laws consistent across various levels of government. I just want to correct the record from the gentleman from the 17th. Uh, yesterday in government organization, that uh, discussion had nothing to do with anti-discrimination. It was pure and simple. We were trying to put an amendment that we would not create any protected class that did not already exist under federal and state law, pure and simple. There is nothing anti-discriminatory about it, and I just want to rise up and make sure the record is, is clear that there was no attempt by anybody to discriminate against anybody yesterday in this chamber or in, or in the uh, Government Affairs Office. With the discussion focused on civil rights for those in the LGBTQ community, Delegate Sean Fluharty moved to discharge another measure, House Bill 2733, from the Industry and Labor Committee and bring the bill to the floor. That bill seeks to add sexual orientation and gender identity to West Virginia's Human Rights Act. 
Flew Hardy's discharge motion was tabled on a 58 to 40 party line vote, with Republicans stopping the measure from coming to the floor. Delegate Sammy Brown took aim at Republican Delegate Eric Porterfield for his comments in yesterday's committee meeting. Porterfield had supported the committee's amendment to House Bill 2699 that would have not allowed for additional protected classes and also spoke against what he calls attacks on religious freedom. I rise because it seems that we have a crisis of character in this chamber. Um, I will also agree with the gentleman from the 51st and the gentleman from the 3rd where we did hear these comments that actually were very much bigoted. As someone who fought for those non-discrimination ordinances in the Eastern Panhandle, to my colleague in the 62nd, I will tell you to rescind those as absolutely regressive. Delegate Bibby stood up again to reiterate his position that the amendment was not intended to discriminate. If you look at the amendment on its text, all it did was ensure that no, no city, no county could, could make up a protected class that was not already part of federal and state law, pure and simple. The rest of it, there's nothing to do with, it was all pure discussion. And remember, we are and we should be a body of laws, not of men. Delegate Mike Caputo took issue with language in the committee that he said lacked a quorum. He also said that the amendment offered in yesterday's committee would have done nothing but drive West Virginia in the wrong direction. It's shameful. It's absolutely shameful that we got into such a heated debate over an issue that our children can't understand why we fight about. I got two kids, 33 and 34 and 35. The minority leader and I were having this discussion this morning. They look at us and say, really? Really? You want to move West Virginia forward, but you want to tell someone you can't protect them because of who they love? I'll call big BS on that. If I was out on steps, it wouldn't have been a BS. It would have been something else. Because that's what it is. It's hate. It's hate. It's hate. It's hate. And if anybody thinks any differently, they're only kidding themselves. Let's move West Virginia forward, not backward. I'm sick of the BS. Delegate Daniel Walker stated that one of her sons is gay and would not have been comfortable in yesterday's meeting. She continued on in a floor speech to stretch the discussion on civil rights for the LGBTQ community to discrimination of any kind. She advocated for West Virginians to see one another beyond their skin color, gender, or sexual orientation. You know what's the most heartbreaking thing? When I speak to someone and they say, what do you prefer, black or African-American? Why can't I just not be a human person? Why can't I just be a human being? Why can't I just be a mother? Why can't I just be a delegate? Why can't I not just be your equal? You look at me and you see what? I am an American, proud. I exemplify one love, whether you like it or not. You're either gonna love me or you're gonna love to hate me, but it's still love. Discussion over civil rights for those in the LGBTQ communities came on the same day as Fairness West Virginia's Lobby Day at the Capitol. The nonprofit organization advocates for the equal treatment 
for those in the LGBTQ communities. For the legislature today, I'm Dave Mistich at the Capitol. Also in the House today, the comprehensive education bill was taken up in two committee hearings. Uh, Speaker Hanshaw requested a public hearing on Senate Bill 451. That hearing is scheduled for Monday, February 11th in the House chambers at 8 o'clock. Hundreds of West Virginians who have served in the military came to the Capitol today with specific requests for lawmakers. Randy Yowie reports. Like a platoon taking a village, veterans from across West Virginia commandeered the House chamber for a time this morning. Greenbrier County Vietnam vet Rod Farley was one of many who say the challenge of readjustment for a returning combat veteran from any conflict requires understanding and care. It's been 50 years since Vietnam and we, and, you know, to be honest, we still have the guys and women that are trying to readjust just because of what they seen and did in combat. For some it's no problem at all, but for others it can be a pretty big challenge. They've been exposed to a lot of things for the first time in their life, and much of those are traumatic. And uh, they come back carrying a lot of those uh, issues within themselves. For thousands of Mountain State vets dealing with those issues, exercising the demons of war requires trained care. Caregiver Patricia Schaffner says without the veterans' home facility in Barbersville, the consequences would be tragic. They'd just be homeless, hungry, uh, no place to go, nobody to turn to, and that's kind of what we do. We take care of the veterans, make sure that they're 100 percent all the way around as a whole taken care of. We have a, an aging veterans population. I mean, you got to think, Vietnam veterans are in their 60s now and 70s, and you know, I've even run across a couple that were in their 80s. Well, Korean veterans are all in their 80s and 90s, and we're running out of World War II veterans. For all those aging vets needing specialized medical care, there's the State Veterans Nursing Home in Clarksburg. But these legislative advocates say this one overtaxed critical care facility is not enough. What they're really pushing for is to get 10 to 15 million dollars to establish a second veterans nursing home in the Beckley area in southern West Virginia. That's not only vital, it's critical because we are not serving a lot of veterans who need those types of services in their life. To travel to Clarksburg can be a challenge for veterans and their families and as a result of that many opt not to do so. Rod Farley says he doesn't need the veterans nursing home yet, but so many others do with that need advancing like a platoon on the march. We have so many veterans that are needing assistance and needing qualified personnel to take care of us that um, you know one, one home or one here and there is not going to do it. Secretary Davis says the project funding is not in this year's budget. The hope is by Veterans Visibility Day 2020, West Virginia can visibly with a second nursing home show its gratitude for those who preserve our freedom. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yoey at the Capitol. The West Virginia Environmental Council held a rally here this morning. We'll get an update when Delegate Evan Hansen speaks with reporter Brittany Patterson in just a moment. But first, Brittany updates us on a decades-old environmental nightmare for the small Fayette County town of Minden. Like many places in West Virginia, the community of Minden has been shaped by the coal industry. Over the course of 50 years, eight mines operated near this town. Today, Minden's population is just a few hundred. The coal mines have long since shuttered. 
but Minden has gained notoriety for a different reason. It was good to raise your kids because everybody looked out for everybody. Yeah. And it was pretty. It was, um, people took care of their homes and they were just shiny, you know. And, but now they can't get any money to take care of their homes. You know, it's um, contaminate, contaminated with PCBs. And the Susie Worley Jenkins has lived in Minden her entire life. She's also a community organizer who has for years tried to get help cleaning up decades of toxic PCB contamination. In the 1970s and 80s, a company called Schaefer Equipment coated machinery used in coal mines with polychlorinated biphenyls, or PCBs. When the company closed in 1984, the Environmental Protection Agency says Schaefer Equipment dumped barrels of PCB-laced oil down into the abandoned mines and left transformers filled with oil on its property in Minden. Brandon Richardson is a geologist and co-founder of the environmental group Headwaters Defense. And these chemicals were widely used and had several industrial uses up until the late 70s when they were banned. Um, they were banned because of the health effects on humans, um, and those health effects include problems with the endocrine system, the reproductive system, the liver and kidney system, skin, and basically the entire body's systems that are essential for life. Over the years, he says the EPA has conducted multiple cleanups here, but dangerous contamination remains. Two years ago, residents asked the EPA to do more testing. In September, EPA proposed listing Minden on the Superfund National Priorities List. High-ranking officeholders, including Governor Jim Justice and Senator Joe Manchin, advocated for the listing. The National Priorities List, or NPL, is a list of the most toxic contaminated sites in the country. Qualifying for the NPL means the federal government will foot the bill for yet another cleanup here. As residents have long feared, the new testing revealed that PCBs have traveled downstream in Arbuckle Creek, the meandering channel that runs through town and eventually to the New River, a drinking water source for thousands in nearby Oak Hill. But for some here, like Worley Jenkins, the Superfund NPL designation isn't enough. They want financial assistance to relocate, and they want the EPA to do more in-depth testing. The latest rounds of soil sampling largely only went six inches deep. Advocates say the pollution likely goes deeper, and the cleanup will likely need to as well. And there is concern that PCB-laced water will continue to gush out of the area's abandoned mines, whose cleanup falls on the West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection. It's already been right at two years, and these folks are no closer to getting out of here than they were then. Oak Hill High School juniors Markayla King, Corey Letchell, and Rose Gayhart spent all of their sophomore year testing and analyzing soil and water samples taken from Minden and comparing them to nearby Oak Hill. The students are part of the Health Sciences and Technology Academy, known as HISTA, a four-year mentoring program that aims to get West Virginian high schoolers excited about science. King lives in Minden and believes she's lost family members because of this environmental hazard. Finding out if her community was contaminated was personal. I had like family members that passed away from different types of cancer because they lived in this area. So now it's kind of like, am I going to be affected? 
Not sure. Last year, the students took soil and water samples in four places in Minden and nearby Oak Hill. We compared the findings from all that compared to the Oak Hill water to see how affected this was. And what did you find? This was definitely a lot worse than up there. The students' project technically ended last spring, but given the recent proposed Superfund NPL designation, they say they're going to continue. Minden is going to be put on the NPL list because, you know, the problem they see, but they're only going to do a cleanup. But they've seen that this cleanup has not worked for the past years, so it doesn't really make sense to do another cleanup and not going to get them anywhere. That's just, you know, doing the same thing and not getting any results from it. So, you know, there's no point in doing that except, you know, trying to relocate the people living here. Resident and community organizer Susie Worley Jenkins has similar concerns. She says the West Virginia DEP needs to be more proactive in monitoring and limiting discharges from the eight abandoned mines near Minden. And if the EPA can't or won't relocate residents who are still here, Governor Justice and the legislature should appropriate the money to do it. This has got to stop. They're killing everybody by doing that. They need to test this water. They need to find another source of water because given us PCB water and water that has pesticides and iron and everything into it and not testing it properly, yeah, I think there's a lot the state could do. I'm Brittany Patterson, energy and environment reporter, and joining me this evening is Delegate Evan Hansen of Monongalia County. Evan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for having me. So. Um, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of issues this evening, and we're really excited to have you with your environmental scientist background. Um, but I wanted to start first with the piece that we just heard about Minden. Um, you know, at the heart of this story, I think, is a story that we hear a lot here in West Virginia. It's a community that's been facing contamination for a long time, and the residents feel a little stuck and a little, they have questions, and they want action. And so I'm wondering, you know, is there something that you feel the legislature, the state could do to help communities like this in West Virginia? Well, I, I would say it breaks my heart to see stories like that and to know about these clusters across West Virginia where people are getting sick or dying um, because they don't have clean drinking water or because there's some other type of environmental contamination. And I mean, there are several things that the legislature can do. It's not going to fix these problems overnight, but one thing the legislature can do is make sure that the laws that we pass are based on the, the best, most up-to-date science possible. Um, another thing the legislature can do is make sure that our environmental enforcement agencies are properly staffed and that they enforce the environmental laws fairly across the entire state without picking favorites. Um, so those are a couple of things that they can do. Yeah. Um, you know, this community is, it's been proposed to be listed on the EPA Superfund National Priorities List. There are a lot of federal programs run by EPA and other agencies that communities here in West Virginia, whether that be the state or local communities, can find really helpful to get help. Um, but it's not sort of a, whole fi a wholesale fix. I know in your time as an environmental scientist, you've worked with communities to try and tap into some of these resources. Where do you see things working really well and where might there still be gaps that could be filled? The Superfund law is 
can work well for situations like Minden where there's toxic pollution that's known and a, a cleanup needs to take place. Um, but what we see more often are across West Virginia, a program that works real well is the Brownfields program. And Brownfields are sites that are either polluted or perceived to be polluted uh, enough such that economic development doesn't take place on that site because business owners don't want to take on that potential risk. And what happens through the Brownfields program is that federal dollars are freed up to do the environmental testing that's required to determine once and for all whether it's contaminated. And if it is, then additional funds could come in to remediate the pollution. And the goal at the end of the process is, is to have a site that can be redeveloped and put into productive use. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot just a little bit. Today was E-Day here at the Capitol, um, and, and you were one of the, the speakers who this morning was part of that rally. What was your message when it comes to environmental issues? My message is that there's a lot that we can do as a legislature that recognizes that a healthy environment and a healthy economy go hand in hand. And that's unfortunately not something you hear that often here in the legislature, um, but I believe it to be true, and I think there are our steps we can take, we could take today to create jobs and reduce emissions at the same time. Yeah, I think one of those steps, something that you have sponsored is a, um, a bill about solar energy on coal, uh, former, former coal mine sites. Tell us a little bit about this bill. Sure, this is a bill that we're calling the Modern Jobs Act and it's, it has bipartisan sponsors and it addresses a couple issues here in West Virginia. One is that um, most of our electricity is generated by coal right now, over 90%. And that electricity has been getting more and more expensive over the last decade. In fact, West Virginia electricity used to be about the cheapest in the country, but now we're in the middle of the pack. That's no longer a, an advantage for us here in West Virginia. And so this bill aims to allow large electricity users like chemical plants or manufacturing plants to give them the freedom to choose electricity generated from solar arrays, so long as those solar arrays are located on former coal mines. So the goal of this legislation is to create jobs and also to put those former coal mines that are degraded land and they're not helping our economy right now to turn those into productive assets. Yeah. Well, Interesting enough, even if a company wanted to make that decision to tap into solar power if they could find it in West Virginia, currently, as I understand it, the, the law is such that that can't happen. And I understand there's a Senate bill that has also been introduced that would, per, would change the way third parties are allowed to um, install or, or in, develop um, renewable energy and other energy. Could you talk to us a little bit about what are power purchase agreements and why that might be a step that's holding back renewable development here? Sure, and these two bills are complementary. My bill is looking at very large-scale solar arrays for very large electricity users, and the power purchase agreement bill is looking more at rooftop solar, either for homes or businesses. And right now, there's a third party is not able to come in and finance the solar development. You have to pay for it yourself. And so that really holds back people like you and me that may not have $20,000 that they could invest on a solar array on their rooftop, even though over the long term, we'd save money. So if this bill passes, there are companies that operate all across the country that could come into West Virginia, 
build a solar array on your rooftop at no cost to you, and starting next month, you could see your electricity rates go down. Yeah, I want to <coughs> excuse me. Um, <clears throat> I want to go back to something you said earlier about. Um, passing laws that are based on the most current available science. So today in the Senate, we saw the Senate pass Senate Bill 163, which includes the DEP's water quality standards. And these are rules that basically um, limit how much water or pollution can go into our rivers and streams in West Virginia. Those that bill had originally had proposed updates, 60 of them that DEP had suggested, those have now been taken out in the final passage. And I'm wondering, how are you hearing rumblings in the House about this piece of legislation and this rule in particular, and, and how does it sit with you? I think people are starting to take notice of it since it's about to come over uh, to the House. You know, those, those 60 additional, those 60 changes to the human health standards, they, they were in the bill, then they were taken out. Then um, once testimony was provided by public health experts and people from the DEP, they were put back in and then they were taken back out again, in, all in the Senate um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, my feeling is we need to update our standards based on the best data and the best science we have. And right now those standards are based on science and data from the 1980s. Um, we have new science and data that came from the federal EPA with recommendations. Our DEP took those and made some adjustments based on West Virginia specific data and that's what was proposed, but those were stripped from the rule right now. Yeah, well, just very quickly in the last few seconds that we have left, um, I wanted to offer you a chance to give some final thoughts about um, the reason that you felt compelled to stand up today and talk about that amendment that went into the discriminatory amendment. Tell us about why you felt compelled to stand up. Well, I've been here for a few weeks now, this is my first term, but what happened in government organization yesterday was definitely the most emotional debate we've had. I just could not believe that we were debating whether or not it's okay for local communities to make discrimination illegal. It, I just could not believe it. Absolutely. We'll have to leave it there. Delegate Evan Hansen, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Brittany Patterson. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thank you for joining us and have a great evening. Mm -hmm.